Last week, I began by mentioning the most recent homicide bombing in Israel. That was on Thursday morning, January 29th. And what's interesting to me is how incredibly misinformed the, the media is. In fact, there's an opinion being propagated, better propagandized, in the popular media today. And it's all about land rights. It's all about the legality of ownership over that city that no one cared about for centuries, but now the whole world is focused on. It's at the center of world attention, and that, of course, is Jerusalem. And what's being told and shared, and, and the opinions and perspectives being shown in our media is just that short of propaganda, if not <laughs> spilling over into. We're not being told the whole truth. And I'm not a paranoid guy. I'm not, you know, a conspiracy theorist or anything like that. But I do know what's been going on, and I do know the history between Israel and the Arab nations around. And folks, this morning, we're going to... I know we spent some time on this last week. We're going to spend a little more time talking about the Jews. What's the deal with the Jews? Zechariah chapter 12 verse 2 tells us, Behold, I am going to make Jerusalem a cup that causes reeling to all the peoples around. And when the siege is against Jerusalem, when the siege is against Jerusalem, it will also be against Judah. It will come about in that day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. And all who lift it will be severely injured. And all the nations of the earth will be gathered against it. Now, the San Francisco Chronicle, sure a paper that a lot of you spend much time reading, in the editorial section said that they believe, they stated their opinion is the fastest way for peace to come to the Middle East is through the internationalization of Jerusalem. And that's been proposed before. Make Jerusalem an international city for the Christians, the Muslims, the Jews, and put over it, check this out, put over Jerusalem as overseer, as the one who kind of has oversight, direct authority, the Vatican. Put the Vatican over Jerusalem, the Roman Catholic Church. Now what's interesting is the Pope has been meeting recently, I don't know if you knew this, but he's been meeting with Islamic leaders and declaring the authenticity of the Muslim faith along with Hinduism and Buddhism and one big happy world family. This is the solution according to the San Francisco Chronicle. Well, if you will, would you turn in your Bibles to Second Chronicles? Forget the San Francisco Chronicle. And let's see what God has to say about this. This most important city. Second Chronicles chapter 6. Love the sound of the papers going back and forth, the pages being turned. Second Chronicles chapter 6 and verse 1. Solomon is dedicating the temple that he has built. And it's a glorious day and it's a glorious sight. And the people are gathered around. And it tells us in verse 1, Second Chronicles chapter 6, Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in the thick cloud. I have built for you a lofty house and a place for your dwelling forever. Verse 3, Then the king faced about and blessed all the assembly of Israel while all the assembly of Israel was standing. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, 
the God of Israel, who spoke with his mouth to my father David and has fulfilled it with his hands, saying, quote, Since the day, God speaking here, since the day that I brought my people from the land of Egypt, I did not choose a city out of all the tribes of Israel in which to build a house that my name might be there, nor did I choose any man for a leader over my people Israel. But I have chosen Jerusalem, that my name might be there, and I have chosen David to be over my people Israel. Well, that's weird. Wait a minute. He chose David to be over his people Israel, but now David's out of the picture and Solomon is on the throne. But God chose Jerusalem, and he chose David. Now flip over to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 12. After the fact here, it tells us in verse 11 actually that Solomon finished the house of the Lord in the king's palace and successfully completed all that he had planned on doing in the house of the Lord and in his palace. Verse 12, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night, and he said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself, as a house of sacrifice. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Now we have used that verse in America. You've seen it probably on campaigns, national prayer campaigns. Let's get back to the Lord and He will heal our land. Well, originally that promise was for Israel and for the Jews. If my people will turn to me, I will heal their land. And I'll put it to you, that is a promise that will happen. It is yet to come. Verse 15, Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there alone. Forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. You see, as a kid, I, I used to always think phrases and terms like forever in the Bible just was kind of a, a, you know, an allegorical way of saying a long time. My name's going to be there, you know, unless you mess things up, Jews. Unless, Israel, you don't keep all the covenants that I've laid out. Well, you may remember, for those of you who have been studying this, that there are several covenants that God made with the Jews. Only one was conditional, and that was the Mosaic Covenant. Every other covenant, unconditional, no strings attached, I will do this, says the Lord. And he comes along here and he says to Solomon, this is my house forever. This place, this city, God chose Jerusalem out of the entire earth to be his city forever. And he went on to say that the throne of David would reign in that city perpetually, forever. And we look at Jerusalem today and say, wow, was God wrong? Did he just kind of make a mistake? Did he overstep what he meant to say? Maybe it is just metaphor and allegory and, and we're jumping way ahead of the Lord in his plan when we think that. Well, I tell you all this and I keep bringing up the issue of Jerusalem and the Jews for a very specific reason. Listen, the past... The present and the future of this people is not only pertinent to our study this morning, as we're going to look at Abraham a little more, but it is absolutely pertinent, it's important, it goes far beyond this particular hour. The Apostle Paul wrote extensively to Christians about his Jewish brothers. In Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, Paul wrote, and you can hear his heart breaking as he says, man, I wish that I could be cut off if only to save my brothers of Israel. 
My Jewish brethren, if I could be cut off, I would do it if I knew that would save them. That's how passionately Paul felt about them. Well, in Romans chapter 11, and I'll just read this to you. Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Paul made the following statement. He said, For I do not want you to be uninformed. I do not want you to be uninformed of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation. That a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. Just as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. What's Zion? Jerusalem. Zion is another name for Jerusalem. The Deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And Paul says this, and listen close because the wording can be a little confusing. He says, from the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. Russ was just asking me last night, why is it that Jews are so worried about the anti-Semitic overtones of this new Mel Gibson movie, The Passion? Why are they so worried about it? Because people keep saying, everybody killed Jesus. You know, granted, the Jews played a role, the Romans played a role, but we all by our sins sent him to the cross. Why are the Jews so worried about it? And the reality is they're enemies of the gospel. Right now, from the standpoint of the gospel, they're enemies. But they're enemies for your sake. In other words, God had his people and he pulls back and he says, Okay, they're not following, they're not listening, they're not accepting, they have rejected my Messiah. Therefore, their hearts are going to get hard. But in the meantime, here's a mystery for you. In the meantime, I'm going to go get the Gentiles. And I'm going to bring them in. And at the time when that, that fullness is complete, the fullness of the Gentiles and all the non-Jewish people, which is what a Gentile is, someone who's not a Jew, it's everybody in here except for Frank, I think, Unless anybody else is Jewish. The fullness of the Gentiles come in, and at that time, at that time, Israel will be saved. How can you say this, Paul? Well, he says in verse 29 of Romans chapter 11, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Once he has said it, he will do it forever. God is faithful. Right? So why are we going into all this? Because, as Paul said in Romans, I don't want you to be uninformed. I think every week as I'm, as I'm studying and, and reading the scriptures and thinking, okay, we're going to learn this and teach this. I think every week, what do we need to know, Lord? What is it out of Genesis 12 that you want us to understand and know? And he's made something very clear that today he does not want you to be uninformed about his people, Israel. By the way, Paul only said four times in all of his writings, all the letters, he said four times, I don't want you to be uninformed about this. Want to know what he said it about? He said it about spiritual gifts. I don't want you to be uninformed about spiritual gifts, about spiritual warfare. Now, I do not want you to be uninformed about spiritual warfare. Paul said about the rapture of the church. What happens after you die? And if someone dies before Jesus comes again, I don't want you to be uninformed about that. And Paul said, and I don't want you to be uninformed about Israel. And I think that we live in one of the most uninformed times in history when it comes to Israel and the Jews. We don't know the truth of it. Well, I want you to see God's truth in all of us, to understand it and to know, not to be uninformed. So with that in mind, let's go in our Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis 12. This is that point in the story of Genesis from the very beginning that Abraham, actually Abram, he'll, he'll get the ham later and we'll explain why, but Abram comes along. And God now moves from an event focus 
The first 11 chapters of, of Genesis, an event focus. You know, there's the creation and the fall and the flood and battle. Big events, big world occurrences. And now God narrows down. He hones in on a man, this man Abram. And he says, now, now let's get busy. Let's get to work. I've got a people to save. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And so you will be, you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And, I will, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God's plan in a nutshell in those three verses. But he comes first to Abraham. And he says four things. And you may want to just jot these down if you're taking notes. Real quickly, he says, I will give you nationality. I'm going to give you nationality, Abram. I'm going to make you a great land. Give you a great land. I'm going to make you a great nation. Nationality. Out of one guy, and a somewhat older guy at this point, too, by the way. He's 50 years old when he first heard the call of God to leave the Ur of the Chaldees. 75 by the time he actually gets to the promised land where he was supposed to go in the first place, but that's another story. He says, I'll give you a nationality. Secondly, God says, Abram, I'm going to give you an identity. An identity. I will make you a great name. Your name's going to be awesome, Abram. Everybody's going to know the name Abraham. And don't we? Don't we? Doesn't the world know the name Abraham? I mentioned on Wednesday night, you can go to the darkest corners of the earth and people may not know who Tom Cruise is or who Justin Timberlake is, but they know who Abraham is. Abraham is a famous name. God kept his promise. I'll give you nationality. I will give you identity. He says also, Abram, I'm going to give you security. You will have security. Verse 3, he says, man, great protection. How'd you like to walk around with this one on your shoulders? Hey, those who bless you, I'm going to bless. And those who curse you, I'm going to curse. Man, as an elementary cool kid, kid, that would have been great. Kids making fun of you, you just go, hey, Lord, this guy, and he's gone. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. That is great security. Now, some people may question, by the way, this protection of the Jews, this security. I mean, look at the Jews' history and go, I don't know if I'd call that protection. I would, and I'll tell you why. Because after 4,000 years, they're still here. They haven't disappeared. Do you realize that in all of history, no other nation has survived more than two generations without a homeland? Once a homeland is taken from a people, from a generate, from a group, from a nation, once they no longer have that place that they call home, within two generations, they don't exist anymore. Israel's still here. A secure, protected people. And number four, God says something mind-blowing. He says, not only I'll give you nationality, I'll give you identity, I'll give you security, but He says, I will give the world eternity. Abram, through you. I didn't even know if Abram could fathom what was being said to him there. Could, could understand what was going on. How powerful a comment this was from the Father. But verse 4 says, Man, in you all families of the earth will be blessed. I'm going to give my love through my Messiah. But the question this morning, as we look at this passage, you've got to wonder, why did God choose the Jews? What was it about the Jewish people or about Abraham? Why him? Abraham was no different than many people. He was a pagan. When God first tapped the shoulder and said, Hey, Abram, yeah, I want you to go to a place called Canaan, a land that I'll show you. Me? Yeah. And by the way, Abram, there's not a whole bunch of gods, it's just me. Because Abram was an idolater. He was a, he was a pagan. 
Who are the many gods? In fact, his father and his father's house is likely served and believed in the moon god of their people. I mentioned this on Wednesday night, but that, by the way, is the history of Islam. That Allah was the name for the moon god in the polytheistic paganistic society in which Muhammad lived. It was his family's particular god. A god, a moon god named Allah, which is why in Islam today the crescent moon is their symbol. The moon god. But why did God choose the Jews? I want to give you four reasons this morning, again, so you can be informed, so you're not uninformed. And here they are, four reasons why God chose the Jews. Number one, we'll spend a little bit more time on these. God chose Israel, number one, to be the witness of his ways. The witness of his ways. You might want to jot this down, Isaiah chapter 44, verse 23. Shout for joy, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout joyfully, you lower parts of the earth. Break forth into a shout of joy, you mountains, O forest, and every tree in it. Why? For the Lord has redeemed Jacob, and in Israel he shows forth his glory. Mankind needed a picture. We needed to understand what God's relationship with humanity was supposed to be about. And so to do that, to provide that for us, God chose Israel. He chose Abraham and he began to work with a man, with a family, with a nation. And in so doing, we can look back and look at the whole entire history of God with these people and go, wow. So that's what he wants. So that's what faithfulness is. So that's how much he loves us. God chose this people to be the witness of his ways. What's interesting to me is the relationship between God and, and Israel, as described in the Old Testament scriptures, is nothing short of a love affair. Going back and forth. If you don't believe me, read the book of Hosea. In fact, listen to these verses. Hosea chapter 2, verse 14. God says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her. Bring her into the wilderness and speak kindly to her. I mean, that sounds like a poem. That sounds like a couple of guys talking about one guy's girlfriend. Oh, I'm going to get her. I'm going to take her out of the wilderness and read poetry to her. and You know, it's going to be great. God goes on to say, Hosea chapter 2 verse 19, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and in loving kindness and in compassion. And I will betroth you to me, and hear that, here's that word again, in faithfulness. And then you'll know that I'm the Lord. So God takes Israel and says, I want this people to be a witness of my ways. There's this passionate romantic tension between God and Israel throughout the pages of the Old Testament. Israel is faithless, but God remains faithful. Israel is adulterous, but God continually promises restoration for this people. But let me tell you a mystery. Open, flip over in your Bibles to the Song of Solomon. Song of Songs. This book is touted as a love letter between Solomon and his bride, which of the 350, I'm not sure. But it is rather a prophetic testimony of the Lord and his people. Look at chapter 2 and verse 10. Just watch for a moment here. I just love this. Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 10. My beloved responded and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come along. For behold, the winter is gone, the rain is over and gone. The flowers have already appeared in the land. The time has arrived for pruning the vines. And the voice of the turtle dove has been heard in our land. Listen, the fig tree. Some of you know what that's about, the prophetic meaning there. The fig tree has ripened its figs, and the vines in blossom have given forth their fragrance. Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come along. Come up here. 
Arise, my beautiful one. Folks, it's not just a love song between Solomon and a bride. Those are the words of Jesus to his bride. Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come along. And listen to how the bride responds in chapter 3, verse 1. Here's the bride responding to to the lover, to, to the suitor. On my bed, night after night, I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but did not find him. You see, when we read Song of Solomon, many of us in, in churches go, it's a little, um, I don't know, graphic. Seeking him on her on bed? What's going on here? It's in the Bible. Well, we'll study that another time. On my bed, night after night, I sought him, whom my soul loves. I sought him, but did not find him. I must arise now and go about the city, in the streets and in the squares. I must seek him, whom my soul loves. And Frank talked about this morning, communion and the way it draws us back, draws us back, draws us back to him every week. And that's the heart of a follower of Jesus. I, I want to seek the one that I love. But I, I seek him and I do not find him. Verse 3, the watchman who make the rounds in the city found me. And I said, have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I left him. I love this. When I found him whom my soul loves, I held on to him and would not let him go. This is a picture, folks, of Jesus and the church. Jesus calling out, hey, the fig tree is ripening its figs. Arise, my darling, my beautiful one. Come along. And the church responds by going, yes, Lord, I want to hold on to you. I do not want to let you go. But we understand that relationship because of God and Israel first. Because God showed us this love relationship with the people. Now we can look back and go, yes, that's what it's about. And isn't it interesting in Revelation chapter 19 that the church is called to a wedding feast. That we go to a marriage ceremony with, with our husband who is the Lamb, who is Jesus. And the church is the bride. Well, God chose Israel to be a witness to his ways. Number two. God chose Israel to be the keeper of His Word. To be the keeper of His Word. And to their credit and our benefit, the Jews have been fierce protectors of God's Word through the ages. Listen to what Paul said, Romans chapter 3, verse 1. He says, What advantage has the Jew? Or what is the benefit of circumcision? Good question. Great in every respect, Paul says, first of all, first of all, that they were entrusted with the oracle, oracles of God. The oracles of God, that word oracles is logion or logos. The word of God. That same word, by the way, used in John chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the logos. And the logos was with God and the logos was God. He was with God in the beginning. That's Jesus Christ. Again. So here Paul's saying, hey, they were entrusted with the oracles, the logos of God. The story of how the Bible was written word for word, page by page, and copied scroll for scroll, and then passed on through the ages is a truly amazing story. But listen to this, the accuracy is unbelievable. It's incredible how absolutely accurate. How, how do you know that? Well, there are uh, three versions of the Torah. Let me give you a couple examples. Three versions of the Torah that are used worldwide today among the Jews. The Ashkenazi version, the Sephardi version, and the Yemenite version. Three different Torahs. And yet between these three Torahs, and the Torah being those first five books of the Bible, between these three different Torahs and these three different groups, and Frank will tell you, they are very different groups. They're all Jews, but even the Ashkenazi Jews and the Sephardic Jews are extremely different 
in culture and custom and the way they do things. As different as they are, between these three different Torahs, there are only nine letter level variations. That means nine letters difference in over 304,805 letters in the text. Nine letters. We're talking word differences between these three. Just letters. And what about this? Back in 1947, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. Interestingly, one year before Israel became a nation again. Coincidence? I don't think so. But the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, and part of the Dead Sea discovery was the Great Isaiah Scroll. Now, this was a scroll that had the entire book of Isaiah, dated all the way back to 100 years before Christ. And it was right there in the Dead Sea Scrolls, and everything is there. It is perfectly preserved. In fact, this scroll may have, been, may have been in circulation at the same time Jesus started his public ministry by reading from the scroll of Isaiah in Capernaum. That's how precious this find was. But check this out. This same scroll, when compared to another text of Isaiah, copied some six centuries later, was found to be nearly identical. 600 years of copying it over and over and over and, and you know people who would question the Bible would say well with all those scribes and all those copies of course they're going to mess it up and by the time it gets 600 years down the line it's going to be a different book not so not so God chose Israel to be the keeper of his word why is the keeping of the word so important listen to this Psalm chapter 40 verse 7 what reads, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. Who's me? Jesus. Because as you walk word for word, verse by verse, page by page, chapter by chapter, through the Bible, what you discover is there's not a page that does not indicate Jesus the Messiah. Even in the Old Testament. It is a clearly integrated book that has one basic purpose, to show Jesus to the world. Isn't it interesting that in the Bible you can't say, um, where is the, the chapter on baptism? Or can you show me the, the chapter on, on the theology of the Trinity? Or show me the chapter on taking communion. And what we discover is there are no single chapters that deal with single topics. Oh, there are some chapters that will deal with it for a while, but all of these things are spread throughout Scripture. I ran into something interesting this week. You're holding in your hands those little handouts. And, and what I had intentioned, or purpose with those, was to have them fold open. And on the inside, I have, and I've got it on my computer at home, ten questions and answers about the Bridge Christian Fellowship. So if someone comes to visit, they can read that and go, oh, how do I become a Christian? Well, there it is right there. It tells us, no, okay, here's how long you've been here. And these different things, it's just information. And I just couldn't get it right. And the more I worked on it, and I spent way too much time working on this thing. But I fi it finally hit me, and I'm talking Friday night, and Russ was going to print them off, and I called him up and said, Don't print it! Stop the printing! And it hit me. God doesn't want us to have something like that. Why? Well, because He wants us to take the time to get to know Him. And we don't need to have something that tells you every little thing. You know what? If you want to know something about the British Christian Fellowship and why we're here and what it's all about, talk to me. I'll tell you everything I know. Probably about this much of what God knows about this church. But it doesn't matter. What matters is that we get into His Word and we discover as we go what God has in store for us. Which is a little frightening and very adventurous. But it's the way of the Father. God chose Israel to be the keeper of His Word. Check this verse out. Jesus, in John chapter 5, verse 39 said, You know, you search the Scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of Me. But you weren't willing to come to me to have eternal life. 
How many Bible studies, how many searches of the Scripture have gone on over the thousands of years it's been in place where people have completely missed Jesus? Where you can go through a whole entire chapter and study and study and study and get done and walk out of the room and go, hey, we didn't even talk about Jesus, did we? But you see, Jesus says, these are they which testify of me. Man, you look for Jesus everywhere, and by the way, you'll find him everywhere. He is all over the pages of Scripture. Well, God chose Israel to be a keeper of his word, but whether or not they chose to see Jesus, well, that will culminate in the ultimate drama of all history. Number three, God chose Israel to be the conduit for his wattage. I needed a W word. It was best I could. Conduit for his wattage. In other words, if you just want to keep it easy, he chose Israel to be a light to the Gentiles. A light to the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? Again, anyone who isn't a Jew. Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is God's way. Spread out. Fill up. Be fruitful. But as we saw in Genesis chapter 11, at the Tower of Babel, the people rejected that. They chose to babble, so God in chapter 12 chose a people. The people chose to babble, God chose a people, and in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, he says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also, I will also, God speaking to Israel, I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Now this was completely missed down the line among the Jews. You are to be a light of the nation so that my salvation will go beyond your walls, beyond your synagogues, beyond your temple, and reach to the ends of the earth. That's why we have this relationship, Jews. I want you to be a light to all the nations. But what happened? In true human form, the Jews began to babble. The Jews decided to turn inward. Which, by the way, any time a group of people turn inward and forget about what God has called them to, they begin to babble. The Jewish people lost their sight. In fact, they even began to teach that the only reason Gentiles existed was to keep hell hot. Keep the, fan, the, the, the flames fanned a little bit. And it got to the point where among some Jews, if you accidentally brushed up against a Gentile, you had to go home, wash yourself thoroughly and ceremoniously, and then burn your clothes. A light to the nations? They didn't want to have anything to do with the nations. They cut themselves off from the nations, turned completely inward, and Israel crystallized. And what does God do when somebody crystallizes? He breaks them. He breaks them. You ever seen that happen in the church? A church turns inward, forgets about the nations, starts to squabble and squawk about things like music and, and how things are done and program covers and, and stuff that doesn't matter... And God says, hey, I chose you to be a light to the nations, okay? not to worry about the lights in the sanctuary. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, God, Jesus speaking said, you're the light of the world. Man, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And as Christians today, we go, yes, we are the light of the world. But you know what? Jesus was not talking to Christians when he said this. 
Now later he would, later he would tell his apostles after the resurrection, you go into all the world and you proclaim me, you show me to the world, you be that light. But when Jesus said this at the Sermon on the Mount, he was speaking to a largely Jewish audience, reminding them of what Isaiah had prophesied years before, you're the light of the world. How can you not light the world? How can you sit under baskets? How can you sit quietly in your own little synagogue, dark, and not sharing God with the world? God chose Israel to be a light to the Gentiles. So what did God do when Israel said, No, we're not going to be a light to the Gentiles? Jesus said in Matthew 21:42, Did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in your eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. But on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. When we forget this, as believers in Jesus today, as churches in the world today, we end up sitting around babbling. When the people, or a church, turn inward, they harden. But listen folks, even when that happens, and even when we're crushed by our own dumbness, look at Israel. Because God remains faithful. He has not forgotten her. Again, Romans 11.25, a partial happening, hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in, and so all Israel will be saved. God has not forgotten Israel. God is not through with the Jew. Well, I want to show you one last thing and we'll be done. Go back to Genesis chapter 12. And check this out. Fourth thing that you need to know. Number four, very quickly, God chose Israel to be the deliverer of his wonder. He chose Israel to be the deliverer of his wonder. What do you mean? His wonder, the wonderful counselor, Jesus. Because it was through that lineage of Israel, through Abraham's seed, all the way down the line, that a young woman, young Jewish girl named Mary, would give birth to Messiah, to Jesus. Which is why God says, Abraham, through you all the families of the earth will be blessed. You know, I hope someone is blessed by my relationship with God. There is another facet to our relationships with Jesus. It's not just me and the Lord walking one-on-one, just the two of us hanging out together. It's me and the Lord and the impact that has all around me. And God said to Abram, hey, through you, people are going to get blessed. And I love the sound of that. My prayer is that through each one of us, people are blessed. But that's not what I wanted to tell you. Look at chapter 11 and verse 4 go right back to the middle of Babel the middle of these people building this tower and look at what they say they say Genesis 11:4. come let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven let us make a name for ourselves otherwise we'll be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth and what I realize when I read that and then I look at God's promise to Abram is God gives Abraham everything that the people at Babel wanted same stuff they wanted a nationality Abram you got a nationality they wanted identity Abram I'm going to give you identity they wanted security Abraham I am going to give you security but there's one huge thing that the Babel builders missed in their dreams and plans and schemes and that is eternity they missed eternity they were so focused on taking care of life now 
But they miss the big picture, which is life forever. And when God comes along with Abram, it's, it's stunning. All the people in battle are saying, let, let us, let us do this, let us build, let us make ourselves a name. And God says to Abram, I will. I will do this. I will make you a name. I will bless all the families of the earth. Listen, Jesus said, you seek my kingdom. You focus on that. You seek my kingdom first and I'll throw everything else in. Don't worry about everything else. You seek the kingdom. But what we do is we work on everything else. We do all the lettuce. Well, let us build our houses and let us keep our jobs and let us worry about things and let us try and make it work and let us be busy, busy, busy. And God's saying, hey, I, I can do that. I can take care of that. Why don't you just focus on one simple thing, the kingdom. You focus on me, Jesus says. The rest of it, I'll throw it in. Follow me, God says, and you'll have these and all more. The bottom line is this. We have a choice. We have two ways that we can live our lives. We can live in chapter 11 bankruptcy. Or we can live in chapter 12 blessing. Where do you want to be? I don't like chapter 11. I don't like worrying about credit cards and bills. I don't like stressing out about whether or not I'm being a good dad. I don't like fearing in this world. What I love is sitting in worship. Because those are the moments where I'm totally reminded of God's faithfulness and blessing. Those are the times where I'm gathered here with you that life just kind of goes away for an hour or two. Man, God says live every day that way. Let life go away. I'll take care of life. You focus on me. And folks, when we come to the Jewish Mashiach, that is the Messiah of Israel, who is truly the Messiah of all mankind, Jesus Christ, something happens. We move out of bankruptcy and into blessing. That's why God chose Israel to be that picture for us so that we could understand this vital relationship. Let's pray together. Jesus, we so easily miss the big picture. And yet throughout Scripture it is so clear. It is your grace that saves us. It is your faithfulness we can count on. It is your strength and your glory and your power, Father, that, that rests right before us. And Father, I know, as I said earlier, I know there's some just today who are, who are struggling and are hurting. I know there's some who need to be reminded that your mercies are renewed every morning. I know there's some, Father, myself included, we begin to worry about the stuff of life. But God, you have, you have said it so clearly. Would you, Lord, help us to focus on the kingdom and focus on Jesus? And God, if there is anyone here who has never made a decision for Jesus, whose life is literally in bankruptcy, I pray for a piercing of their heart and a desire to know you. Lord Jesus, may your love compel them to come to you this very day. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.